Welcome everyone again to Mosaic Christian Fellowship. And um, I just want to say all of the announcements that you're hearing, they're all ways for you to get more plugged into the church and to come into the center of the church. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot um, on staff is bringing people from the foyer to the kitchen. And that's an illustration that we use all the time. And what it means is that when people come over your house, when they initially come in, they kind of hang out in the foyer. They're not sure what part of the house um, they're allowed to be in. They don't feel comfortable coming in. But ultimately, by the end of the night, what you want to do is have everyone around your kitchen counter. You want to have everybody there because that's the place of intimacy where you fellowship with one another and pick at food and have drinks together. And we're constantly talking about how do we get all of you from the foyer to the kitchen of Mosaic. And all of these things that you just heard about take a ton of work. There are leaders and hands and feet behind all of it with uh, the express goal of helping you come into the kitchen of Mosaic because coming into the kitchen is so much better than being in the foyer. If you're just a Sunday Christian here at Mosaic and you don't really know many people here, I want to encourage you to take advantage of all of these things that the leaders are pouring out, all of their hours and energy after work on weekends to help put together because being in the kitchen of a church is so much better when you're with brothers and sisters. So I want to encourage you to really act on a lot of these things that you've been hearing about. Today, we're continuing in our Hebrew series. And last week, Pastor Andre preached about what it means that Jesus is our high priest. And if you were here, you heard that Jesus is one who comes into our skin with us and understands what it means uh, to be human. And not only does he understand us, but he suffers for us, and he also is gentle with us. And he spoke about that. We're going to continue to push on this theme because the author of Hebrew pushes on this theme. And he says that Jesus' high priestliness is even better than you think. It's even deeper than you think. It's even mm, more transcendent than you think. And it's my job today to try to explain to you and convey the heart of the author of Hebrews today because he tries to explain to you how great Jesus' priesthood is by using a very specific illustration. One very specific priest in the history of the Old Testament, the priest king, Melchizedek. Can everyone say Melchizedek? Melchizedek. It is a fun word to say. And somebody after the first service actually said, hey, we wanted to name our kid Melchizedek. And I said, oh, you probably shouldn't do that because a lot of people aren't going to be able to say his name. But Melchizedek is this very, very unique but mysterious figure in the Old Testament of the Bible that, to be honest, we don't know that much about. We don't know much about. Um, he only comes up one time um, in the narrative of Genesis 14. He comes out very quickly, and we don't know much about him. But today, uh, the author of Hebrews is going to compare Jesus to Melchizedek. Uh, but here's the thing. There are lots of people in the Bible that you, got, you get introduced to, but you don't know a lot about. Um, but D.A. Carson says, but those people have the decency of not being important in the Bible. But the thing about Melchizedek is we don't know that much about him, but he seems to be incredibly important because he shows up again in Psalm 110, the most quoted Psalm of the New Testament. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, speaking about Messiah. And then in Hebrews 7, we get this long excursus about why Melchizedek is so important. And so today, what I want to do is I want to show you who Melchizedek is, and I want to show you why it matters for your soul. 
And so if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Hebrews 6. We're going to start at verse 19. We're going to take it to 7, verse 10. We're going to read more of verse 7, but that's all I'll give you at this point. And we'll continue to open up. Hebrews 6, verse 19, this is what the author says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is, prince of peace or king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was. See how great this man was, to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. This is the word of the Lord. I know it's not immediately the most clear text, but I want to show you why this is such a powerful text. Um, I usually name the sermons after some sort of title that you could immediately relate to, that you could connect to your life, but I left the title of the sermon Melchizedek because I found that the deeper I meditated on what it means that Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, I was just, I really just treasured that name, Melchizedek, which means king of righteousness, but there's so much more to it. Today, we're going to see why it's so important that Jesus is um, a priest to us after the order of Melchizedek. And when we find that out, I really pray that after today, just that word, just hearing the word Melchizedek, that name will bring you shouts of joy because it has for me. So we're going to look at who Melchizedek is, and then we're going to see why. Why is it even important? And where I think that we'll land at the end of the sermon is that when you understand Melchizedek and the fact that Jesus is Melchizedek, that Psalm 23, 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of my days, that should be completely, completely certain in your heart. That because of this, God's goodness and mercy will be yours all of your days. That's my prayer, that the Lord would minister to you in that way as we receive his word about Melchizedek. So would you pray for me and pray with me? Let's pray for one another. Let's spend a moment in prayer together. Spirit of the living God, we wait on you to breathe life into this text now and show us why you gave this to us. 
We wait in anticipation because we know that the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. So we wait on your spirit to speak to us because we know that this word that we're looking at right now will change our lives. And so do that work among us. We wait on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who is Melchizedek? All throughout scripture, um, in Hebrews, we've been looking at how Jesus is being lifted up above a lot of different things. And today he says that he is the greatest high priest because he is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. In order of Melchizedek, you could say that what he means by that is that he is greater because he is in the characteristics of Melchizedek, that he exemplifies a priesthood in his order. And so we have to ask, who is this guy, Melchizedek? So let's read the first two verses one more time, and it gives a little bit of his biography here, and um, it'll show us who he is. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth of everything. He is by first translation of his name, king of righteousness, and then he is king of Salem, that is, king of peace. The story of Melchizedek is quick. In Genesis 14, he comes out very quickly, but profoundly. Abram, at the time, not Abraham yet, Abram, He has his nephew captured by these kings from the east. These kings from the east gather together and they put on this big valley, uh, a big battle in the valley of Siddim. And he captures Abram's nephew. And Abram goes to go rescue his nephew by bringing together 318 trained men together to go and rescue his nephew from these eastern kings. And he's successful. And in this uh, battle, he goes and he gets his nephew and brings him back, rescues his nephew. But along with that, he also brings spoils of war, the spoils of war. And as soon as he gets back, this mysterious figure from the land of Canaan, the promised land, comes out of nowhere. He's introduced as King of Salem. Now think about this. King of Salem, Salem, from the promised land of Canaan. What is he king of? What city is he king of? Promised land of Salem in the Canaanite land. It's not too far off to say here was actually the king of Jerusalem, the city that exudes peace. And as New Testament Christians, we're going king of Jerusalem, and we start to lean into who this is. This mysterious encounter is that this Canaanite king called Melchizedek comes out of Salem and he meets with Abraham and Abraham, after this battle, all of a sudden gives him one-tenth of all of the spoils with no explanation. And then the king of Salem comes, Melchizedek comes, and he gives to Abraham bread and wine. I mean, come on, you, we get this, you're starting to see why this is so mysterious and profound. He gives him one-tenth offering of the spoils. Melchizedek gives Abraham bread and wine. And then that's it. You don't get any more. He just disappears into thin air, and we don't get any more explanation of who Melchizedek is. There's a lot that we don't know about Melchizedek, but there are some things we do know, and there's some particular things about him that make him distinct in um, Hebrew history. And the first thing that makes him distinct is the fact that he is priest and king. He is priest and king. Now, this is strange, and let me show you why. Uh, Genesis 14, 18 introduces Melchizedek this way. The Melchizedek, 
And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Now, I don't know if we understand how strange this is, but this is very, very strange because in the Old Testament, a priest could not be king. You see, there were three offices in the Old Testament, prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, priest, and king. And here's how it works. A prophet could be a king, like David. A prophet could be a priest, like Samuel. But a prophet could never, a priest could never be a king. And a king could never be a priest. There was this hard dividing line between priest and king. Not only was there a hard dividing line in function, but there was a hard dividing line among bloodlines. Kings came from the line of Judah and could only come from the line of Judah. Priests came from the line of Levi and could only come from the line of Levi. God separated it so that they would never be commingled, so that kings would never corrupt the religious acts of the priests, and the priests would never gain too much power in the law. He separated them, and they could never be commingled. And you see how seriously God takes this when Saul, the king, has a battle in Um, in the land with the Philistines, and he's on the edges of war. He's on the footsteps of war against the Philistines, and he has to offer a sacrifice. But he's not allowed to offer a sacrifice because he's a king. Only the priest can offer sacrifice. And so he's waiting and waiting on the footsteps of war, and his troops are losing confidence in him, and it's one day and two days and three days, and Samuel, the priest, is nowhere to be found. And so Saul the king runs out of patience, anxious, scared, and nervous about losing the confidence of his troops. And after waiting seven days, what happens? He offers the sacrifice himself, and he crosses the line between king and priest, the very thing he was not supposed to do. After he does that, Samuel the priest does arrive and he says to King Saul, Saul, this brazen act of rebellion against the wishes of the Most High God, this has cost you the kingdom. There's a very hard line between king and priest. Never was someone to cross between the line except this one mysterious person named Melchizedek. Introduced as the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Now, how is this possible? How is this possible when this was obviously something that God did not want to happen? To be, to be honest, I'm not exactly sure. There's not a lot of information about him, um, how he could be. Now, there are some people who say that he was the incarnate Jesus Christ before he was incarnate, and that's why he could do it. And it could very well be the case. For me personally, it's just not enough here for me to say that with certainty. But it could be the case. But what we do know is that here is a figure who is actually king and priest at the same time. And that meant a lot. You see, a priest is someone who could be with you when you broke the law, when you're in a place of need and brokenness. And he's able to, with soft hands and a soft heart, minister to you, minister the sacrifice with you. But the difference between priest and king was the king could not only help you when you broke the law, the king made the law. The king had absolute rule and power. He had control. In Melchizedek, you have one figure who has both of these different things. Now you're being able to see that when David writes the Psalm 110, why he says of Jesus Christ, you are a priest in the order of Melchizedek. King and priest all at the same time. 
The second thing that's unique about Melchizedek is not only that he was king and priest, but that he was eternal priest. He's eternal priest. Now read this with me. Hebrews 7.3, this is what he says. Talking about Melchizedek, it says, He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. Weird, right? He says that he doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. Now, I don't think that that's necessarily saying that Melchizedek actually was an eternal being. But he's saying that there was no history, origin story, and then we don't know what happened to him after the whole bread and wine thing. It's just using it as an illustration to say that there is a certain kind of eternality in his story. And that's what eternality is. It's not just uh, living forever this way, but true eternality is never being born this way. Does that make sense? We are eternal beings in Jesus Christ, but we're not eternal the way that God is eternal. Because we had a beginning. God did not. He's the Alpha and Omega. He says there's something about Melchizedek that looks like that. No genealogy, no beginning, and also no end, no conclusion And this is where he takes this opportunity to look at the eternality of Melchizedek and say that Jesus Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Now, let me show you why that's important. Last week, Pastor Andre stood up here and he gave you a a powerful sermon about Jesus Christ, our high priest. And everybody was like, that's great. He's our high priest. Amen. But you see, that's because you're not Hebrew Christians. For Hebrew Christians, that would have been a major problem. Because if they were sitting in with Pastor Andre's sermon, they would have said, excuse me, he cannot be a priest. Jesus Christ, Jesus of Nazareth, descends from the line of Judah, and priests come from the line of Levi. Can't be. Sermon's wrong. Can't be a high priest. You see, that's a big problem for them, because Jesus comes from the line of Judah and not from the line of priests. But this is what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, ah, that's true. But there was another line where priests could come from, and this line is even better than the one that the Levites came from. Read 7, verses 4 to 9 with me. Now, this is probably the part of the passage that I read that made the the least immediate sense, but this is what it says in verse 4. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers. Though these also are descended from Abraham, all from Abraham. Everybody's from Abraham. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Let me explain what that means. He's using an argument of greater to lesser or lesser to greater. I've heard people say that Kobe Bryant is the best basketball player of our generation. Now, I don't know enough about basketball to confirm or deny that. Um, You guys could tell me later what you think. But here's one argument that I heard about why they think Kobe is the greatest basketball player of our generation, better than LeBron and better than all the other people, because Michael Jordan was uh, indisputably the greatest player of all time. Okay, you should all be nodding, I think. Okay, indisputably the best basketball player of all time. And Kobe Bryant is the closest thing we have to him. I don't know, could be true. But that's an argument of greater to to lesser, right? 
Obviously, he's the greater, and Kobe is pretty close. Okay? That's what he's doing here. He says, Abraham, Abraham, everyone des- descended from Abraham. Who is greater? Abraham, Jordan, or Levi, Kobe, right? Or, you know, whoever it is after that. So obviously, Jordan. I mean, Abraham. <laughs> I'm getting confused up here. <laughs> obviously, Abraham. Um, where was I going with this? <laughs> obviously, Abraham, because, um, you know, in our day, whatever is newest is greatest, right? The newest updated thing, that's the greatest thing. Not in Hebrew culture. In Hebrew culture, the older thing is the greater thing. The father is always greater than the son. So who is greater, Abraham or Levi? Obviously, Abraham, because Levi's father is Jacob. Jacob's father is Isaac, and Isaac's father is Abraham. Now, this is what he says. I know you guys can't accept that Jesus is from the line of Levi, but guess what? Abraham bowed down to Melchizedek. And Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Pretty powerful argument, right? He's showing that there is an eternality to Melchizedek that's actually fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And I think that this is who Melchizedek truly is. He is a prefiguration of Jesus Christ. His only purpose was to come in and to serve as a connection point, an integration point for the future Messiah who would be priest and king. Two roles that were separated in the weakness of man because of our sin, but were always meant to be brought back and integrated in the person of Jesus Christ. That's who Melchizedek is. He serves that purpose in history. And now Jesus Christ fulfills it. Read verse 15 to 17 with me. This is what it says. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, that's Jesus, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He only pointed forward to the eternality of Jesus Christ. The high priest who would never die, but always be for you. Before the throne of God above, I have this strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. That is Jesus Christ, King of peace, King of Salem, King of Jerusalem. I wonder if Pontius Pilate could ever know how profound it was when he put Jesus Christ on a cross and on top he wrote what he committed, the crime that he committed, and he wrote King of the Jews, King of Jerusalem. I don't know if you ever know how profound that was. King of Salem, king of righteousness, king of peace. Jesus Christ is here in the order of Melchizedek for us, eternal priest, eternal king. Now, I could talk for two hours more about Melchizedek, and it would be pretty interesting, but I thought instead of doing that, I'll talk about what what, what does it matter to you that he's Melchizedek? What difference does it make? Because that is the impetus of the passage here. Not just to give you more information that you might forget tomorrow, but that this serves as in verse 619, it says, we have this sure and steadfast anchor for the soul. 
That's why the author of Hebrews gives us the story about Melchizedek. Not because it's incredibly interesting, but because it's supposed to ground our soul in the midst of storms. Let me show you how that works. Let's read 19 to 20 again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You know, I thought about it this week, and, you know, the times when I felt most ministered to by Jesus, it was when he was acting as priest and king at the same time. Now, at the time, I didn't think about it in those terms. I mean, who thinks about it in those terms, right? But now that I step back and I read Hebrews 6 and 7, I realize, ah, he... In the moments where he was most gracious, merciful, and helpful to me was when he was priest and king. Let me show you the first part of Melchizedek, what it means that Jesus is your high priest in the order of Melchizedek. It means that you have mercy like you've never experienced before in your life. You know, I thought about priests, and most of you probably don't have that much experience with priests. Some of you might, if you come from a Catholic background, but I think that there are two different experiences of a priest. It depends on your heart. And this is what I mean. You know, there's one experience of a priest that comes from a person who just comes to a priest, and there's really nothing that they're bothered by. They're not really convicted of their sin. They're not really bothered by their heart. And they're just kind of showing up to church, maybe the way that some of you showed up to church today and meets with the priest just because. I'm coming to do my religious service. You work here, right? You, you are doing your religious service, and it's fine. Nice guy. Father Bob, nice guy. But there is no depth. It's just meeting with a priest. And that person doesn't really feel like he needs a priest. Not really. Because he's not really bothered by anything. Everything is just kind of fine. He's doing his job. I'm grateful. And then Pastor Andre comes up and says, Jesus is the high priest. Great. An even better priest. A more effective priest. Glad we have him. But it's merely information that can be learned today and forgotten tomorrow. Because he doesn't feel his need for a priest. My brother and sister, did you come to church that way? Is that you right now? You are here, but you don't really feel your need for Christ, your priest. This has been an interesting sermon so far. You learned something new. You learned a name you still can't pronounce. But it's still, so what? It's fine. Jesus, he's fine. My brother and sister, that first person doesn't understand why Jesus is a high priest. And then, but then there's the second person. The second person understands why he desperately needs a priest. It's the person who is broken up about his sin. It's a person who understands the depths of their sin and understands the desperation of the sin. For that person, the priest is a lifeline to God. For the person who understands the deep conviction. You know, I've had these moments where I've been so broken up about my sin because of my addictions, because of my failures. I've been sick of my sin. I've even said to myself, Lord, I hate who I am. And I didn't mean that. I really meant, I hate my sin so much. But it came out as, God, I hate who I am. I hate the person that I am. 
And you know what's crazy about those moments when you have those deep conviction of sin? It's really lonely. I don't know if you ever felt that before. If when you actually have a conviction of sin, it's actually very, very lonely. Because it seems like everybody else is just kind of going about their day. Everybody else is good and fine and godly. And here you are. So messed up. And nobody's as messed up as you. You are the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners. Everybody else is so fine and pretty and nice. And here you are, so broken, wretched sinner. It's a very lonely feeling sometimes to enter into conviction of sin. It's a very lonely feeling sometimes to make it feel to, to, when you realize inside that your marriage is so broken. And you feel like everybody else's marriage is fine. You feel like everybody else's life is okay, but yours is so broken. Jesus one time told a story about a Pharisee who came to pray at the temple, and he says, Lord, I thank you that I'm fine. Everybody else needs this sermon. Everybody else needs this mercy and grace, but I thank you that I'm good. I thank you that I'm not like them. He was fine. Came to church fine, left church fine. It's fine. But he said there was another man there who couldn't even bear to pray from the middle of the praying floor because he felt unworthy to be there. He felt unworthy to be praying at the center, so he was off to the side, way to the side, hidden away. And he couldn't even lift his head up to heaven because he felt like he was so sinful. He couldn't even lift up his head up to heaven, but instead he beat his breast, he says. Have you guys ever done that? I, have you ever done that where you felt so frustrated with yourself that you actually hit your chest? Where you felt so dumb for living in a cycle of sin that you try to hit it out of your head? You say, stupid, stupid, I did it again. Have you ever done that? It says he couldn't even sit in the middle of the threshing floor, the, of the praying floor, but he beat his breast. There's a loneliness that comes with conviction of sin. But that's the person who understands that he needs a priest. For him, the priest is a lifeline and he clings to the priest because the priest, what the priest represents is that if in my state of sinfulness, you are merciful, then that means that maybe, just maybe that God is merciful. Maybe God forgives me of what I did. Maybe God forgives me. The man beats his breast and says, God, please be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, brothers and sisters, the fact that Jesus is a high priest, he will only touch the ones who are here who feel the conviction of sin. For the rest of us, it's just fine. But for those of you who understand the depths of what it means that you have sinned before a holy God, a priest is your lifeline. You understand why a priest is so important. It's the most soul-quenching truth there is because if Jesus Christ is the high priest, that means that God is merciful because Jesus Christ gets on his hands and knees and ministers to the most sinful people that he meets. If Jesus is the high priest, that means that God is merciful. Don't you see why it's so important to understand that? I think that unless you understand that, you probably won't understand how powerful this passage is. You know, one time um, Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners and the religious leaders asked Jesus, why do you do that? Why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? I've asked them that too. 
Why do you do this? And this is what Jesus answered. He said, because it's not the healthy who need a physician. It's the sick. People sick in the head. People sin sick. Those are the people who need a physician. Those are the people I came for. Not you guys who feel like you're fine. Not not, not you religious leaders who pray standing up. I came for those who are hidden away, who feel sick. Have you ever hugged a doctor after a checkup? Probably not. After you have a checkup and the doctor says, everything's great, Mr. Smith, do you go, yes, thank you? Not really. Who hugs their doctor? It's the person who has gone through months of chemotherapy, who has come from inches of death, who has seen and smelled death, and the doctor has been there for them and pulled them out of the miry clay and set their feet upon a rock. That's the person who hugs a doctor. I have come for the sick. Is that you, brothers and sisters? Are you a sinner here? You know, statistics tell me that more than one of you have committed adultery in this room. Is that you? Don't you see what it means that Jesus Christ is the one who gets down on his hands and knees and is a high priest for those who live in shame? We have an anchor for the soul, author of Hebrews says. This is why I tell you about Melchizedek. Because it means that we have an anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place of the curtain. If he is our high priest, that means that God is merciful. That, my brothers and sisters, is called the gospel of Jesus Christ. That God has been merciful through the person of Jesus for sinners who recognize the depths of their sin. That's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. We love it. We celebrate it. We believe it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not felt in, yeah, I know Jesus died for my sin. I think the farther you are from the man who is crying on the threshing floor, praying, I think the farther you are from that, the farther you are from the true impact of the gospel. That you might be able to recite the gospel to me. I don't care how many thematic themes you know inside of the gospel, how many intricacies of the gospel you can explain to me. If you are far from the tears and the conviction of sin and the gratitude that comes from the gospel, you have been far from it, brothers and sisters. That is the pathos, the pithiness, the truth of the gospel. We have an anchor for the soul. If Jesus Christ is Melchizedek, the high priest, then Hebrews 4.16 says this, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of judgment. No, wait, the throne of truth. No, the throne of grace. That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Are you in need spiritually? If that's you, then Jesus is your high priest. Today, let that sink into your heart. The second and last thing, what it means that Jesus is Melchizedek, it takes it even further. It means that Jesus is not just our high priest, but it means that he is our king. That he's not just of mercy, but he's of goodness. Let's read verse 19 and 20 one more time. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. He says this, we have this as this anchor of the soul, a hope that went into the inner place. Think about that visual. 
it's not exactly hope that went in. It's Jesus that went in, right? Because he's Melchizedek. That's where the high priest goes. But he says, but, but it's like our hope went in. Do you see what he's saying? Do you get the visual? It's almost as if Jesus is carrying all of your hopes and dreams, all of your deepest desires, the things you could never tell people that you needed and wanted in life, the things that you miss, the thing that you are hoping for in life. It's almost as if he's carrying it into the inner place, into the Holy of Holies. We have this hope that enters into the inner place. That's how personal it is. And here is the hope. This is why it's an anchor for the soul, because the one who carries it into the inner place is not just a priest, but he is a king. Do you know what that means? That means that he's not just one who will cry with you because you have broken something, but he is a king that will fix it. He's not just a priest that will look to your past and absolve you of sin, but he's a king who will look into your future and has your life in his hands. He is in control. That is the anchor for the soul who has Jesus as Melchizedek, that he has our future in his hands. You know what that means? That means that you'll, most of the time you won't know what he's doing, but you should always know why he's doing it. You didn't get that. You, most of the time you won't know what he's doing, but you should always know in Melchizedek, Jesus Christ, you should always know why he's doing it. We spend so much time thinking about how he's going to do stuff. I'm not married. How, am I, how, am I, how is he going to find me a spouse? I'm getting older. My mother is sick. How is she going to get better? How is this going to happen? How is my career going to work out? How is this going to get fixed? How is my financial security going to be fixed? When I don't see any of the ingredients in sight, how is he going to do this? And lots of people have asked me, Pastor Dave, how is God going to do this? And I go, I don't know. How am I supposed to know? A lot of the time we won't know how, but you should always know why. You should always know why he's doing it. He's doing it for your good because he's the king, I tell you. He's the king. He's Melchizedek. You might not know his plan, but you should always know that he's working for your good because not only is he a king, but he's your priest. You see, if he was just a king, then that just means he has control. And who knows what he's doing with that control? Who knows what he's doing with his hands on the button? Is he working for my good? I mean, is he going to bring me judgment? I mean, what's he doing up there? He's the king, but what's he doing up there? But he's a priest. But he's your merciful high priest. So you know that while he has his hands on the controls of your life, he's always working for your good. That's what it means. He's Melchizedek. May goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. I remember listening to Elizabeth Elliot's radio show. Before podcast, there was radio. And um, some of you remember radio shows. And Elizabeth Elliot said this one time when I was deeply anxious and I heard her voice right at the right time. And she said this. She said, my child, do you think that your situation, the one life situation that you are in right now, is the one life situation that he has lost hold of? And all of redemptive history he's had in his hands, he's had absolute control and sovereignty and goodness planned. But do you think that your situation is the one situation in all of redemptive history where he has lost control? He said, no. No. 
then rest in the same sovereignty that all the saints of history have slept and rested in. He is your king. Your situation too, he has in his hands. He is Melchizedek. He is Melchizedek. My brothers and sisters, this is the anchor for the soul. Do you see why he tells us about Melchizedek? It's not just more information for you to forget on Monday, but this is a true and sure anchor for our soul. He is your king. He's also your merciful high priest. Take that into your heart this week. And let me read Psalm 23, 6, as I invite up the worship team and we'll close. This is, I think, what we're supposed to leave with, the effect of Melchizedek, the king and priest, eternal. Surely, surely, there's the anchor. Surely your goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness, because he's your king. Mercy, because he's your priest. What do you have in your life that you need to be concerned of that does not fall under those two things? He's merciful for your sins. He's sovereign over your future. He is Melchizedek over your life. Should we not rest in that today? My brothers and sisters, because of that, let us approach the throne of grace with deep confidence. Let's go to him in prayer. Melchizedek, our king and priest. Let me give you a moment. Now as we receive that and let it melt on our hearts, let's just receive that and remember that his goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Let me give you a moment with him. My brothers and sisters, some of you need to repent because you have been like the first person who have not seen your sin in a long time and therefore you haven't seen your need of a priest and today brothers and sisters we need to bring it before him and some of you need to come need to come with your concerns to the king to the one who has full absolute control let's go to our Lord in prayer let's spend some time with him hear from him speak to him